Hello and welcome to episode 11. I'm joined by Mr. David Gillick, the former Irish athlete. Um, and you've, you've uh, I suppose, a lot of strings to your bow now, but uh, I suppose firstly, we'll, we'll, we'll just welcome you in before we get into all that. Yeah, no, cheers for having us on. Looking forward to the chat. Yeah. Um, well, there's actually so much to kind of dive into, but mm. I'll start off with was your childhood. Actually, no, before we get into your childhood, we'll get your three uh, ideal <laughs> dinner guests. It's come up to Christmas, so I think it's a good thing to do. And obviously, with your master chef uh, yeah. background, it'd be a good thing to ask, I thought. Yeah, the, the three dinner guests. Is that including me now, or is it three and me? Three and you. <laughs> okay. Or I could be, and the family as well, but there's three to join you and whoever. Right. Um, dead or alive? Dead or alive. Oh, dead or alive. Okay, well, I'm going to keep it like, I'll keep it Irish for this, right? So, um, Roy Keane. Right, I always, I, I always, said him as well. yeah, I always throw Roy Keane in there. Um, I'm just after finishing um, the Rodfather, so Roddy Collins, throw yeah, him in yeah. the mix. And um, again, someone that makes me laugh, uh, Joanne McNally, comedian. So that might be that's a good a mix. Bit of a mix. Yeah, I, 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 I would have dinner with them as well. To be yeah. fair, so I, I couldn't actually knock. Uh, not that and obviously Joanne's flying with, with their podcast uh, absolutely well. very funny and again when you have the dry weight of Keane and uh, yeah as I said I just fil- f- um, finished <laughs> The Rod Father which is a great book it was a good read um, and he's he's funny as well so it's a bit of a mix yeah two football men as well big football background yeah I would like you know as a kid growing up I would have played a lot of soccer locally um, with Broadford you know very well um, and then would have just followed it you know and yeah. I think, like, just, you know, the days of watching, like, you know, any game, the Irish games, you know, all the teams over in, in England, stuff like that, you know, I would have all followed all that. Um, then when I lived in England as well, at the time when Sunderland was heavily involved, like, there was an, basically it was an Irish Premier League club. Yeah. and you had, I think Roy was managing then. Roy came the in after, like, you know, you had Quinn, the chairman, then you had Drummerville behind it, a lot of Irish players. and Mick was there as well. Mick was there as well, yeah. So all of that, um, I would have had an interest in that. And then I actually ended up um, going out with a girl from Sunderland and I ended up marrying her. So we have a connection to Sunderland. Anytime we go over, I go to a game and all that. And I like going up the north of England because it reminded me a lot of home. They're very, yeah. kind of very yeah. similar to Irish people. Um, and then you go to a game and there's a load of Irish and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm a big kind of football fan and, you know, just, yeah, to be honest with you, I enjoy all sports. I'd watch anything, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of way inclined, you know. Yeah. I just think, obviously, the, the Roy connection comes in, obviously, there with, with Sunderland, and obviously the fact that he was arguably our best ever player, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what struck me about Keane, and, like, you know, I know years have passed, and we, you know, the World Cup this year, people talk about Saipan and all that kind of rest, and that's when opinion can get a little bit heated um, and debates and all that. But I think when I was. You know, when you're you're aspiring to be the best that you can be, when you're aspiring to go to Olympic Games and win medals and represent Ireland at the highest level, you know, I would have read a lot about Roy Keane and followed his journey and it, it inspired me, it motivated me because of his kind of, his attitude, you know, working hard and, you know, his presence on the pitch and all that sort of stuff would have really resonated for a young lad who's trying to get to the next level. And what I liked one time, I remember reading an article about like, you know, he wasn't about the celebrity of football. He was just about that hard graft, um, old school, they might say. And that stuff I liked. And that kind of inspired me and to work hard and just follow your dreams and, and, and try and get there, you know? Yeah. And even today, though, like people don't, I, I don't think people appreciate his old school kind of way because... You know, he, he's going on about the dancing of the Brazilian manager and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that for the World Cup. But, like, that's just the way he is. He just doesn't like it. He, just, yeah. he doesn't mean that 
you know, people can't do it, but he's just giving his opinion. But he's still so funny at the same time. Like it's a, yeah, he, he, the, the, the kind of dry cork wit, you know, and um, deadpan in terms of his <laughs> yeah. response and stuff like that. And and I kind of like as a pundit, like I, I like the way he he just cuts through and he says what he thinks. You know, that's what he's there for. And obviously, you're going to get uh, different opinions on that reaction and and people debate. But at the end of the day. Like, let's be honest, he is, in terms of punditry, he's box office, and that's what people want to wanna hear, and people will tune in and watch him. Mm. I think that's why people have actually even just turned off RTE to tune into ITV, because he's <laughs> on it. And then, obviously, the, the thing with Sooness he had, obviously, that blew up as well. Yeah. It's but it, it just shows, like, you know, the way of the world now, you know, it, it goes everywhere. So something's on TV, but then it, it can transfer onto all mediums, and then before you know it, it's gone viral, etc. Yeah. You know? we had it on TikTok, like, one million views and stuff like that. Just, yeah. just, just Roy Keane. He's Roy just, Keane. as you say, he is box office, and, and people just love to hear what he has to say and want to hear his opinion, whether he's going mad or just in general, if he's yeah. just being honest. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. But like I said, it kind of shows the world that we live in now as well, in terms of, you know, social media and how that plays in in terms of, you know, your own kind of profile um, and building your own profile, and it's something that I think has worked probably well in his favor. But that all of them, like the, all of those pundits now. Um, have kind of done well off the back of all yeah, that. Yeah, they stuff. kind of became brands. Out of, yeah, brands. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like Dicker Richards and Gary Neville and yeah. Carragher and so on. And then they, when they when they get together, it's it, it is quite funny. It's almost comedy when they get together. Yeah, of course. And it, well, I think that kind of goes to relaxed presence, and that's sometimes when it kind of when you look back at TV and how it's evolved. You know that sort of like analysis punditry. You know when it's friends kind of chatting it comes across like that and it's relaxed and you know people are, are at ease uh, whereas maybe years ago it was a little bit more kind of like you know question here question there question here a little bit more rigid and I think that's the way things have evolved and and look they all have done well um, and it's created you know they're a show like they're a show within a show yeah no 100% um, I suppose we'll, we'll bring it back onto you and I suppose life for you growing up what was your, your early days like I imagine you're not far from here so. no literally the Stones Throw um, grew up in Ballantyre the youngest of four uh, two brothers a sister and then me um, went to school locally participated in all local sports from soccer to, to GA to, to obviously athletics um, and I think kind of growing up like you follow what your your brothers and sisters are doing and my mum and dad were kind of big into sport and probably my earliest memory was you know watching them participate in sport and that was from everything from basketball to to GA a bit of tennis from my dad and stuff like that and I think you know it was just the culture in the house was weekends would come and sure John, Tony, Ollie they're all going off and doing various sports and being the youngest I'd be just thrown in the car and dragged somewhere so I think I more or less grew up on the side but of a your family were like actually good at, at sports like I hear yeah they you know, were John yeah. was very good at GA obviously yeah. Tony played with, with Steph with Steph Fass, and yeah. won a lot of you know uh, things over the years there at the club. yeah they were in fairness like yeah kind of sporty or talented kids you know um, uh, is that but, something from the parents then? yeah my mum would have played um, basketball was her sport she would have played at a high like she would have represented Ireland you know um, to a high level and uh, would have played domestically at the highest level um, in women's basketball and um, and, and, and again it's kind of like I can remember going to these games I can remember going to you know, the cup finals and stuff like that in the what in, in Inchicore originally and then over to Tallow the, the new arena um, you know John played a lot of soccer played a lot of GA as well I can remember going and watching him Tony as you said my sister played a lot of basketball and obviously she she probably was the one who excelled in athletics yeah, more so than my brothers but we all did athletics 
And I think being the youngest, you kind of, like I said, you kind of follow suit. Um, and that's where I kind of got into the various kind of sports. But again, I think in the area around Ballantyre, we were very, very lucky. Like we had a load of green space, um, the parks, um, loads of pitches, loads of clubs, loads of good kind of volunteers who are helping kids and coaching kids in the area. Um, so in terms of like, you know, amenities, in terms of um, that kind of outlet for various sports, it was there. And I think that was something. Again, local school, Our Ladies Volunteer, um, good teachers, teachers that were interested in sport. And you know, it was um, Olive Horgan, who was my teacher, who was into athletics. And it was a Cumna Bun School, which is the primary school sports uh, in Dublin. She was the one who kind of got us to go to them. And again, I think, you know, when you look at the education system and PE and all that, it tends to be driven by a teacher. So if you have a teacher that's interested in a certain sport, the school then tends to kind of be known for that sport because there's an interest there. And again, you go back to that kind of volunteer side of it that they're probably not getting paid to do the extracurricular yeah. um, activities. But in Our Ladies Volunteer, we played Gaelic, um, but she was obviously into athletics. So not every school is going to kind of have that. And again, you could say I was lucky, but then it had a knock-on effect with Dundrum South Dundon Athletic Club, which was again with uh, Liz and Eddie McDonough on our, on our doorstep. So one kind of fed the other. So a bit of talent there. And all the kids kind of around the area, whether it was Gaelic, soccer, we all used to participate in athletics. Um, we used to go down to the old hall in BCS in Banter Community School and probably kick football for an hour before the athletics would start because you were in the hall. And I know a lot of kids just went down to kick the football, never mind the running. But it was fun. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you kind of figure out what you're good at, what you enjoy doing. And and so I think growing up, it, it was a happy kind of time to grow up. I think, um, you know, like I said, it was a lot, there was lots to do around the area. And I'm not saying like, like Dundrum Town Centre, stuff like that, but it was... Back in the day where it was the park, you'd go into the park and you'd spend hours in Marley Park doing all sorts, climbing trees, all that kind of good stuff, you know, up tick knock and all that as well. So very lucky, very happy um, and uh, like good mates as well. I all went to similar schools. Then I went down to St. Benilda's uh, in Kilmacud, again, like heavily into sport from soccer to Gaelic to cross-country running. Um, again, some great teachers down there that would have coached us, would have all kind of got us into those various sports, opportunities to participate in all those sports. And I think that's the greatest thing when I look back was I had the opportunity to try different things. Um, even from like a long-term athletic development standpoint, I was trying different sports. Um, I was good at a few years. I would have done probably maybe, yeah, definitely three, four sports. Um, and then you kind of figure out, well, which one do I, I mean, kind of doing well in? Which one do I how enjoy was that, doing? How was that, um, I suppose, that development of, of slowly narrowing down? Yeah, probably got to like, you know, it's funny because I was always, I was always fast. So I'd grown up fast in my class, like I won sports day and all that crack. And then I, I probably maybe didn't develop as kind of quick as some other lads so suddenly you're kind of you're going from one of the tallest in the class to like Jesus and now I'm in the middle and other lads are just rocketing you yeah. know so you took a while um, to stretch then obviously. yeah I did and then I'm not did, small now obviously no I'm 6'2 six 6'2 two, six two and a half yeah. so I did kind of grow a little bit but I think what happened was you go from like winning and then I wasn't winning so when I was like 13, 14 even 15 I wasn't winning anything on the, on, on the track um, but I was doing well playing Gaelic and I was playing soccer as well and then kind of when I got to like 16 to 17, you know, I probably wasn't getting my game as regularly playing soccer. Um, I was still playing a lot of Gaelic and I was doing well at that. But then running suddenly came back and I began kind of really making progress. And that fifth year in school, I won an All-Ireland for, for St. Benilda's. And again, you're kind of going, oh, that's a step. You know, that's a big step. Um, and then it was kind of like, well, you know, I wasn't really doing that well at soccer. 
Um, I was still enjoying it and I was playing with my mates, but I wasn't maybe, I, I wasn't in starting 11, let's say, uh, from a club. So suddenly you kind of go, well, I'm doing well at this, I'm doing well at that. So then that dropped off. And then I played Gaelic up until I was 19. Um, and running was really kind of going well. I was beginning to make inroads there and getting faster. And then, then the big change was I went to Jamaica for the World Junior Championships um, in athletics. I went as part of a relay team and that just blew my mind. That was just a game changer. Um, that experience, you know, even getting the kit to go into Jamaica and um, spending like two to three weeks over there, you know, racing in a stadium, watching Usain Bolt, like 40,000 people. All that was just was, like, like... Was he huge then or was he just becoming... This was his first... Um, so he was... Juniors is like under 20. Or at the time, sorry, that's that's wrong. It was actually under under 19s, I think it was. They've changed it since. But he was only like 16. So he was like two years younger um, than a lot of the athletes he was competing against. And he just annihilated everyone over 200 metres. And that was like the start of the, like kind of Usain Bolt and who he was and this, this talent that people kind of were talking about in Jamaica as a teenager. But this was the world kind of seeing him for the first time at a World Juniors. And he just, like, he danced on everyone. It was amazing. And it was 40,000 people going bonkers in the, in the stadium. It was his home, you know, home country. And I can remember being there going like, wow, this is unreal. I was like, I want to be like him. And that was when I decided, well, if I want to be like him or really kind of, you know, compete on an individual basis, I need to... Um, I need, to, I need to pack into the sport and concentrate on it. And that's what I did. I came home and this was like, you know, I think it was 2000, 2001. And I was like, right, I'm just going to, I'm going to be an athlete. And that's kind of it. And it was hard giving up the, the, the Gaelic. Like I finished school by this day, so I wasn't playing for, for the school. So that was kind of one um, element gone. But then my club as well, I, I was doing okay in the club. I was playing with the senior team um, in St. John's who were doing well. They, they'd just gone from intermediate to senior. Um, and that was actually the last game I played was when they, uh, I think it was against Olives in the playoff, and a local team. And we had to beat them to go senior. Um, and they did that. Um, nice way to end it. Yeah, yeah, it was. But it was hard as well because like, you know, my brothers played in the team and then, you know, my dad would be involved in the club and people would be kind of saying, Asher, what's he doing? What's he going off doing that run and stuff? He's doing well here, you know? Um, but in my in my heart of hearts, I knew that like you know, I wanted to give athletics a go. I wanted to see what could happen, and I felt I was making inroads. Um, in the, I didn't know if it was ever going to become a career or something I would make money off. So, so how did you kind of because that said you've you've done your leaving cert. Yeah, you're focused on the athletics. So I've seen you speaking in other media uh, outlets and stuff like that of how you didn't have you you just saw athletics as the career and you thought that. So how. How I suppose it was that journey when you when you that was probably in the back of your mind. Yeah, again, it's like these things. You, I, I just I was enjoying what I was doing, and I kind of got sucked into it from that perspective. And I, yeah, I was in college and all that at the time as well. And I'd still have my nights out. Like I probably spent, you know, probably two or three years every Friday been hung over. Like and then the week, but you're made of rubber back then. You know, yeah, you just yeah. bounce back on a Saturday. <laughs> you go train. It's grand. It's all right. Um, and then it was, I was just progressing. I was just <clears throat> getting a little bit better. And then it, was, it wasn't until I won my first Europeans in Madrid where it was kind of like, oh, oh God. Like, and I, I, can, I can be honest and say it, I probably, I didn't go expecting to win. You know, I can, I can remember clearly that year in early 2005, I started running, doing indoor races and I was unbeaten. And I went to the British Championships and I won those. And that's always a bit of a good benchmark. Um, I think around 46-something. And I can remember thinking, like, 
Jesus, I'm actually, I'm unbeaten in a couple of races. And that's a great way because, you know, you're not focusing on times or anything like that. You're just going for the win. And suddenly when you go on an unbeaten run, you know, just things began to fall into place. And then it was the Europeans coming up. And I can remember looking at the ranking and I was like, God, I'm actually, I think I was fifth or something. And then a few people weren't competing in the Europeans for various injuries and stuff like that. And then I was like, actually, I'm really high in the rankings here. I, maybe I could get a get a medal. But at the same time, it was lovely to go into a championship where there was no expectation. Nobody expected me. Been young, first championships. Nobody really expected me to, to kind of, you know, all gone well, might make a final, you know, might nick a minor medal, but not to win the thing. Um, and I did. And that was, that was when a real kind of game changer was like, oh, hang on, actually, you know, I've actually won a European medal. It was the first, I think it was Ireland's first gold medal in about, I think it was like 76 years or something. Bob Tisdall back in 1932 was our last sprint medalist. Um, and then, like, it, it was, look, it was really weird, really strange, because you win, you do the lap of honour, you do the stuff that you dream of as a little kid, and then everything changes. Then it's like, oh, you know, what's next? You know, what's your next championship? Are you, are you going to gonna win the Olympics? You know, are you going to win the Worlds? And you're kind of going, hang on a second, like... It's a lot to take in, and and that was, and I, I probably didn't enjoy that. I remember coming home and kind of like afraid to go down to the shop and get a sandwich for the fear of bumping into someone and having to talk about it and all that. It was just a bit like overwhelming at times. And um, were you getting like um, not global recognition, but like within the country? Yeah, within the country. I can remember arriving home and the door of the airplane opened and it was like bagpipes and all this sort of stuff through Dublin Airport and. You know, oh, don't worry about the bags. We'll come back and get the bags. We'll go walk out, meet the media. All stuff that I'd never experienced yeah. before. And then straight away, cameras, microphones, you and know. you weren't prepared for this in any way. No one no. had said it to you. Okay. No. And that was a huge thing. Like, we always talk about, you know, preparing for maybe for failure. But do we often prepare for success? Do we all do? Do we actually try and comprehend, okay, what, what happens if I win here? What, what's going to happen, you know? Completely brand new to me. And then the phone starts ringing and there's people going, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? Or, you know, can you come on to this show? Or can you do, you know, all of these things. And I'm 21 at the time thinking, what's going on? Like, who do I do? Is it agent or like what? All this sort of stuff, which is brand new, you know? And then you start thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I should, I should make something off the back of this. Maybe. And you start putting this pressure on yourself. You know, maybe I should uh, be capitalizing this. How do I make money out of this? How do I, you know, get sponsors? All of these things start flooding in and, I wasn't prepared for it and I struggled with that. You know, I went, I came back on a Monday and then I went down and got to Lewis on a Tuesday into lectures. I was in college and I can remember going on to Lewis and I always tell this story because it just, it was weird. They used to hand out a free Metro paper and I can remember standing on a pack Lewis and all these Metro papers have been handed out and people start looking at me and one guy's looking down at the paper and then looking at me, looking back down and it was my fat head in the back, in the back pages of the paper. And I'm kind of like looking at him going, geez. And then he's like, oh, you know, well done. And it, it was weird. And some people might be like, oh, it's brilliant. It's great. But I felt there was an awful lot of pressure that came with that, an awful lot of expectation. And then rolled into the summer and I'd struggled with that. And I think emotionally I'd probably, I'd probably peaked, you know, around kind of like March, winning that medal and everything that, that brought in, that attention and, you know, even yourself trying to manage that emotionally. And you kind of, you ride that wave a little bit. But then the outdoor season came. And I, I was fatigued and I was tired. And that was a huge kind of learning curve for me because I didn't perform well in that summer. And, you know, I knew why. I just didn't deal with these kind of emotions. Yeah. And, you know, did, 
like sports psychology and all that sort of stuff didn't really exist back then. Um, and it you're, was, not, you're not the only, like you're an athlete on your own. A lot of even if a team yeah. goes through, like Leicester City, for example, I'm just using them. Yeah, they yeah. were never expected to win the Premier League, and then they struggled off the back of it yeah. because they were, you know, they, they probably weren't prepared for the success, like you say. But that's a whole team. You're yeah. just one person. They have people there to, to deal with that stuff, and you didn't. That's and that's it. Like, and it's a good reference point because, like, a team you come into dressing room and you go, oh, "How are you dealing with this?" You know, people will chat and go, "Geez, I'm a bit this, that, or the other. I'm tired and fatigued and all that," and they probably have an open kind of dialogue about it, but. You know, when you are an individual, it is hard. Like, yes, I had a training group and yes, I had a coach, but we're all individuals and we're all competing as individuals. So it's very hard for me to turn around to someone I'm training with and go, oh, like, you know, how did you deal with winning? You know, like, I'm not at that level, you know? So it's, it, from that perspective, it's weird. It's, it's hard for people to maybe kind of show that empathy because they just don't understand. And that's that's kind of what I, I, I struggled with. And um, But again, you kind of just... Oh, it'll be grand, it'll be mm. fine, it'll be it's fine. Like Irish attitude. It is, you'll be grand, you know. And I can remember kind of just going, oh, look, it'll be grand. And the, the, the season kind of kicked off, I ran like a donkey. Um, and then you kind of, you come to the end of the summer, grand, it's all done. Then you roll into the next year. Um, and that was probably the biggest change for me. I didn't know it at the time, but I went to Gothenburg for the European Outdoors. And um, I'd improved. So I was back kind of running well. You know, I'd improved as an athlete. I won the Nationals that year um, in a personal best time. So, you know, I was just outside the Irish record and just outside the A qualification for Global Champs, Olympics and Worlds. So, you know, I was making good inroads and I went to Gothenburg um, and on paper to make a final. Like on paper, that's what it looked like. I could make a final, but I ran horrendously bad in the semi-final, And I'll never forget it. Like, oh, I was devastated. Because I ran like like I was paddy last. Um, what year is this? Sorry, this is oh six. Okay, um, and that was when I kind of I finished college that year, and it was a bit like, right, what am I going to do next? You know, am I getting a job? You know, um, is this it now? Real world, let's go, job, pension, blah 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 blah, um, or do I run? And you're kind of going, Oof, like running's a bit fragile. There's no like, it's not like you're going professional to a Premier League club or something like that, where oh, you're on a five year contract. Here's where you're going to be paid away yeah, you go there's financial. no security there's nothing um, and that's when I was a bit like off the back of Gothenburg in 06 I was like, well, like what do I want out of this like and I wanted to give it a go and that was the big change I said right well if I'm going to give it a go it's all in everything two-footed let's go um, so I relocated over to England and I, I, I said if I'm going to go full if I'm going to give this go I need to go full time to put myself in an environment where I'm training with really good athletes good full-time coach we go away on training camps all that sort of stuff professional and um, that's what I did so I relocated to you mentioned Leicester uh, Loughborough is like 15-20 minutes outside of Leicester um, big university town huge about sport like that's their kind of that's their niche um, centre of excellence for a number of kind of like Olympic sports swimming triathlon um, athletics and there was a couple of training partners there that were uh, really good guys and I put myself over there and I absolutely loved it and that was a game changer that was really you know even making that decision I think I got a lot of um, empowerment from that you know you kind of make that decision I'm going to go over here I'm going to invest everything into it and that gives you that motivation and you're almost inspiring yourself to go boom this is it and like I didn't want to come home with a tail between my legs go it didn't work this is going to work um, and it was great absolutely loved it and straight away kind of I felt better I felt more 
I was investing everything into it. I was looking after how I was eating, how I was resting, sleep, all the other bits that maybe I wasn't looking at at home. You know, I was still probably having a couple of nights out with the lads and, you know, maybe having the odd breakfast roll and all that, all that stuff. So into that environment, it was like, you know, here we go. This is what we're going to do. And I loved it. And um, that really kind of propelled me on to, like, a different level. Um, yeah. Did it give you, like I was reading something about kind of psychology and having the identity of actually having, you know, knew, knowing who you were then because you'd made that decision. Like you didn't have a career before, you didn't have, you, yeah. but you knew then you were an athlete. I was an athlete. I mean? that, yeah. that was your identity. I was a full-time athlete and that was me. And I studied part-time and stuff over there, I did the masters and all that, but I was there to run and that was it. And it was actually easier to be an athlete because I was surrounded by like-minded people. You know, it was, you're in a, like your own little kind of you know, like cocoon ecosystem surrounded by like-minded people who are doing the same thing. So when it came to the weekends, it wasn't about like, oh, we going out, going to town, nightclubs, beers, all that stuff. It just didn't exist. And I'm not saying it was boring or anything. It wasn't. Um, we'd still like socialize and all, but we just did it in a different way. Mm. Because yeah, Probably bigger things to focus on. Bigger things to focus on. And that's exactly it. Like people I was training with were going for Olympics, going to win global medals, European medals. Um, and it was just a fantastic sort of um, like... Yeah, the ecosystem high, being, high performance yeah. Uh, so, yeah, environment, exactly. you know, yeah. where they think differently to... And, uh, and you kind of realise... No, it is. Like, look, trust me, we had a couple of blowouts and all that, like, you know, epic ones, but um, it all kind of fitted in. And it was just a great environment. I loved it, like, you know, and, you know, when I think back, like, they were probably, they were brilliant years. So, like, all my 20s, you know, throughout that whole kind of 10-year period, I was... I, w I was an athlete. It gave me huge identity. I was doing very well. Time started, um, you know, getting quicker. Um, I retained that European title. I was going to Olympic Games. I went to the Worlds. You know, I, I became a, like a, a finalist, top six in the world. All of these things, fantastic. And you know, I, I was I was a professional athlete. And you know, thankfully, I was at a level where I was able to make a bit of money and pay the bills and keep a roof over my head, and which enabled me then to train full time. Um, and yeah, it was something that. I loved and it was it was it was a great kind of part of my life and now I look back at it and like I miss Loughborough like and that's the thing like I met my wife over there and you know I actually I really enjoyed living in England um I know some people might not agree but it was great it was a great country to live in you know there was so much happening so much things to do you know sport was at, at the forefront um of where we were and it was just a really enjoyable experience was she into the the whole athletics? No, or? she ran. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She ran, Charlotte. Um, so she was a middle middle distance runner. So eight eight hundred fifteen. Um, and look, we were compatible from that perspective. She understood it. Competitive. Um, she beat me on the long distance stuff, but I'd absolutely, you know, I, I'd uh, I'd win easy uh, on the shorter distances. But you know, she was good athlete. She um, she studied there and she trained and stuff. And I think you know she understood that, and she'll she'll openly admit this that. You know, she understood for a period of years that she wasn't priority number one. You know, my athletics was, but she accepted that and she understood that. And, you know, she was a great supporter and still is in terms of, you know, what I want to do. Um, but she understood it. She got it. She got the fact that like it wasn't Saturday nights going out and stuff like that. It was like I've got training tomorrow, um, which for many people might sound a bit boring when, say, your boyfriend is like, oh, he's at home. He's in bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> he's got a training session tomorrow to Saturday night. But it was all she, part of she it. She probably respected the discipline that you'd show. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And like, I think herself kind of being an athlete and running kind of understood that that's what you need to do. That's, that's the requirements of 
of an elite athlete if you want to not only compete at the, at the highest level but win yeah you know so it, it it made yeah it was look we're still married so obviously it was <laughs> it obviously worked it worked out well for both so how how was that i suppose that that period then because you're, you're obviously training full time and yeah from that point to then kind of when when it, how it ended and stuff yeah what was, what was it like in, from your point of view Ah, look, it was. Um, well, you I think, can t- tell by looking at you here, like you, you look back with a lot of fondness. Ah, it yeah. might be a regret, but there's definitely a lot. Yeah, of like the, there's a bit of everything in there. Like it, it, it probably, like it probably took me a couple of years to to get to a point where I, I, I began to look back with fondness. Like I, I looked back for years with resentment. I looked back with regret. Um, you know, decisions I made because I didn't have an exit plan out of my sport. I, I thought I was going to go to Beijing Olympics. I then go on to London and then go on to Rio and I'd retire. So I do three Olympics. That was the plan. You know, um, I made one. I went to Beijing, didn't run that well in Beijing, came off the back of that, you know, learned an awful lot, debriefed and really kind of got into that mindset of kind of, you know, really debriefing and been open and honest, talking to the people around me, my coach, training partners, all that. Learned from it. 2009, fantastic year for me. Um, world finalists, all the rest of it. You know, I was now at the highest level of the sport. I wanted more. I wanted to push on. London was only a couple of years away. I relocated to America and that's when things began to unravel. I got badly injured in America. Um, and the whole kind of social aspect to it as well. I, w- I was literally 24-7 by myself. Um, and then I, then I get injured. So I'm even further kind of, you know, away from everybody. And even having that emotional support of having Charlotte, having parents, having friends, you know, hop on a flight within less than an hour and back in Dublin if needed to be. I was now kind of what felt like on the other side of the world over in Florida and um And time difference. Time difference, yeah. everything. And you know, I'd be quite kind of pig headed. I, I, I've always like I wouldn't I wouldn't put my hand up for help. I, I'd kind of I can do this, I can mm. do this. You know? But even if you did, I don't think what 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 year is that old nine you say? That was uh I moved over there at the end of uh, kind of twenty ten. Yeah, so it's even like only kind of Facebook and stuff like that was around at the time. There wasn't like what there is no, now. There was the WhatsApp calls and stuff like that. So it's so easy to stay in touch with people. Yeah. Whereas back then, obviously, it wasn't. And it's not even that it, long ago. It's like, no, what, it's the, 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 like, uh, it's it'll a, be 13 years in January. It's actually a really good point because like the time zone was a pain in the arse. Um, I know because I went to Australia in 2011 myself and I remember how hard that was coming back so. yeah so you can imagine then if things aren't going that well and you know you're injured and I couldn't train and like Florida is a lonely place like it's people think about theme parks beaches sunny weather but when you're there for the whole year like I, I was I was living by myself I only ever see weirdos because if you ever look at all the Netflix documentaries <laughs> like, it's Joe Exotic now they're all in Florida they're all in Florida yeah 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 well, there's a couple of strange characters now I have to admit but it does but, look like a good place when you talk about the other the other stuff but yeah yeah but it, and that was it and you you know you kind of just go right oh, it'll be alright it'll be alright but it wasn't and um, really struggled that year Got to a point, no, I need to relocate. So went back to Loughborough, a year out from London, right, get back into shape, blah, 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 blah. But I'd missed so much. I came back into my training group and I realised I was like metres behind the lads. And that, oh, I was getting frustrated. And then That's was from it, the injuries? The injury I'd missed, like I hadn't raced in in in, uh, in 2011 at all. And oh. I'd missed, like, I was injured for like three months. And then I tried to come back and rush things for the season. Then I had Achilles problems. Um, I just so in a nutshell, I probably missed nearly six, seven months 
of like proper consistent training and racing. And, and probably I, at that time you needed it. I needed it to keep that like kind of progression. And, yeah. and, and then mentally though, you get a bit frustrated, you're putting pressure on yourself. And the way athletics kind of works, it's all performance related. Like there's no long-term contract. So if I'm not performing, I could easily lose my grant. I could lose sponsors. It's very cutthroat. So I hadn't raced. So I hadn't made any money from the circuit. Then there was question marks over like, would I be from a sponsor's perspective, you know, get my contracts be cut because I hadn't performed, hadn't raced. Um, so then there's all this kind of pressure coming on and, and then it's like, it's London. I got to get back for London. Got to get back. Got to qualify. Got to qualify. And then I had a recurrence of the injury. So I think when I look back, physical and mental as well, I think I put an awful lot of pressure on myself. I think, yeah, I didn't trust my body. You yeah, know, and every that can be like a, a, a psychology thing. Big as well. time. Like yeah. your brain, you know, is, is telling you there's a problem, but maybe your body's okay. Yeah. And then sometimes it could be the other way around where your body is, is not right, but your mind's telling it is, and then yeah. you get injured. Absolutely. And it, these things have to kind of be in sync, particularly when you're trying to compete at the highest level. And every time I was running, I was kind of like, oh, I was so afraid that I would get injured again. And you have to go through that. And it inevitably happened. So I missed London. And then, like, I was like, oh, I'm not going to retire on this. I'm going to give it one more go. And I was back um, in England, but Charlotte was living down in London. She was working uh, for the British Olympic Association. So we're still doing kind of long distance. And we both said, like, after London, um, we'll get back under one roof. And, you know, we'll try and enjoy. I'll continue. We'll try and enjoy life a little bit. So we went to Australia. Uh, and we loved it. The two of us went in. And she started working for the Canberra Raiders, uh, the pro rugby league team. I was training in the AIS in Canberra. Great group, great coach. Got myself back into really good shape, preparing for a race in Japan. Boom, tore my Achilles. And that was it. And I was 30. And so that was kind of like last chance. Of it. That was, yeah. Because I made a promise with myself when I got the ferry over to England back in 2006, when I left the house of Ballantyre, I was on the ferry and one of these kind of poignant like moments, I said to myself, right, here's how it's going to go. When I get to the age of 30, I want to be able to look in the mirror and say, I gave it a go. I gave it a crack. And I was now 30, injured in Australia, wasn't making any money from the sport. It was costing me money to run. Um, I'm retiring. That was it. I said, going home. Um, and like I, things happened. Like I went home. The only reason I came home to Dublin was because I got asked to do Celebrity MasterChef. And I was like, well, I'm not running, not doing anything else. Might as well do this. Came home. Charlotte was still in Australia. Um, and that kind of filled the void for that summer because I couldn't compete. I'd kill you. My body was just shot. My mentally, I was shot as well. And this was on RTE. This was on RTE, yeah. So I ended up winning that thing. Don't know how I did, but it was great. It was brilliant. Um, but it kind of distracted me away from the reality of my career been over. But then September came, and September was when I'd usually start training again, and I wasn't. And that's when... I began to struggle with the whole change, like everything about like flipping hell, like who am I? Like you that, don't have like a purpose. Don't you have know, a purpose. Training would be your purpose. Yeah. Too. And that was, that was where like, you know, a lot we talk of about. struggle with that too. Yeah. Like a, a lot of, a lot of elite sports people, like in, like it, look, my sport defined me. It gave me identity. It gave me like status. It gave me a title, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I probably kind of like, I, I thought I was going to continue. I thought I was going to go on for another, another couple of years. So I didn't really think about that exit plan. What am I going to do next? Even though I had education all behind me, but like the reality of kind of waking up on a Monday morning and thinking, what do I do now? Like, what am I going to do the rest of my life? Mm. What do I want to do? I just want to run. And that's where I, I began to kind of idolize my past. I was like, I just want to go back to England. I just want to go back to Loughborough. I just want to go back running. But I knew I couldn't. And I knew like I couldn't, even if I went back and gave it everything, could I get back to that level 
like the odds are stacked against me now with my age and all that sort of stuff and, and just injury just injury yeah. recurrence and I did a lot of kind of like stress and all that and I struggled with that and then kind of went into panic right what am I going to do or I'll get a job so you just take the first job because why because I wanted money and I wanted a title so if I walk down the street oh what do you do oh I do this I was envious of people who had a title because I, I had no identity now and mm. um, I can relate to that because when I started the, the football channel yeah. People come up to you when you're on a night. It's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I do. Oh. I, you don't know how to say it. I used to hate going for it, get my hair cut, because oh, so a uh, busy day, yeah. and you'd, you'd be almost like, make I, up something. Yeah, I, I, I've done that. Jesus, I've done that. I'm a physio sometimes. <laughs> you know, I just yeah, yeah, physio. Yeah, I've said use that loads of times. Um, you do look like you, you could get away. With well, like I can blag my way because I've been on a physio bed like so many times. <laughs> um, but it is, it's all of that. Like, yeah, like. I, I look back and that's when I began to resent my sport and even resent things like masters because it put me in a situation. So my sport put me in this situation. I hate my sport. You know, it fucking did this to me. Um, and it, that annoyed me. So I wouldn't, I hated athletics. I hated sport. I was envious then of any other sports person that maybe went on and did other things. And, and social media now was coming into it. So I'd be scrolling, going, looking at all these other people who I knew or, or their sports people who'd retired and gone on to do this and to that. I'm like, why am I doing that? So this pressure, you know, I've had to have success. I was successful in athletics. I had to be successful. So all of this was just constant. Took a job that came my way. Why? Because I thought it paid well and I'd have something. But it was the wrong decision. Because I didn't ask, is this what I want to do? I don't know, I'll just do it. And then the reality of that was spending a lot of time by myself. Um, I was essentially a rep on the road, um, going all over the place, like like five hours, six hours in a car some days, and just constantly talking to myself negatively. Um, didn't Got away from eating well and exercise, and did no exercise. Used to just pig out on food. Um, I comfort eat essentially and then you'd come home I'd be irritable I'd be in the, like just I just didn't want to be around people either like because I didn't want the questions mm. you know how, how, how was your missus dealing with this in a shout out time yeah it was hard like because sounds like, like she, she was a constant yeah and, and obviously a great person to have through all this and obviously they're still together with yeah. kids now but like through all that that must have been testing yeah, like, you know, she should be sitting here to answer that question because I can only imagine, like, I was I was a nightmare. We've talked about it and, you know, it's been years and, like, I, I got the help I needed and I, I still go to counselling, um, one of the best things I've ever done. And, you know, that's made me understand kind of the journey that I've been on and understand, like, the little triggers. But, you know, at that moment of time, like, she was on eggshells every day around me. Like, she didn't know what David was going to get out of bed. I had insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I was irritable. I was tired. I didn't want to do anything. Um, you know, and like, you know, she might say, oh, you know, maybe you should talk to someone. Like, if she said that to me, a row, you yeah. know, I'd be like, I don't understand. The shield up, yeah. Yeah, the shield come at 100%. And I just kept pushing her away. And like, it's only now that I realize, like, the pressure that she probably put on herself. She knows me better than anybody else, you know. So she's thinking, oh, I need to fix him, I need to fix him, um, I need to help, I need to help. But like any time she would try, just push her away, push her away. Um, and it was hard, yeah, like, you know, and then she'd worry about me an awful lot, you know, like, you know, my mental health was was not good, you know. I, I'd have tantrums, I'd have panic attacks in the house and, you know, I'd say real negative things like, you know, I'd like suicidal thoughts and I'd shout these out and then I'd storm out of the house. Like, so she's sitting at home going like, where is he? Back. You know, you know, and like that's that's a, a a terrible thing. And we'd got married through this as well. And then um, 
you know, she was pregnant and that's that's when things kind of, like, like I can remember having a, see, it, it got to a point where I packed in the job, got a new job and then Saturday would come and I'd be okay on a Saturday and then Sunday, doom and gloom because I dreaded the week. I dreaded Monday mornings. Yeah. So, so you're I had, like living for the weekend. Living for the weekend. Firefight. Yeah. I used to think like firefight till a Friday, get to Friday, Saturday I was kind of okay and then Sunday, doom and gloom and that was when it was she was heavily pregnant and I had a, I had a massive panic attack on a Sunday and um, I can remember kind of looking at her thinking, how am I going to bring a child into this world? Like, I, I need to sort my shit out. And um, I did. Thankfully, I, I made a call and I, I spoke to someone who I respected and who I heard at an event one time talk about his mental health. And I remember thinking, Jesus, that's me. That's me. Um, and from there then, I started going to counselling and began to get kind of the help. And I took a bit of time out, you know, probably the best thing again I did. I got away from money. It was not about money. You know what I mean? That's just not... I always thought if I had more money, I'd feel content and I'd be fulfilled. It's just all fake, you know? Like, that's... It's endless. Yeah. You know, give me Comes more, give goes. me more. Yeah. Comes and goes. And I want... I, di I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my purpose. What do I want to do? What makes me happy? Um, I didn't know any of these things and I had to go on a bit of a journey to, to try and figure that out and it's I probably still am on that journey and I know I'll be managing my mental health for the rest of my life but counselling really helped um, so just in case anyone or any of the listeners like where can people go if they don't know to, yeah, to talk to people or whatever yeah like it, well like in my experience like you know it depends kind of what walk of life you're in like you know a lot of people might work in companies that have say employee assistance programs uh, available to them which a lot of counseling comes with that and it's free and it's impartial and it's it's all in confidence um, for both that individual and maybe their family as well um, that'd be one thing I'd, I'd certainly look at and then look you know as a nation, we are a little bit behind in terms of mental health provision and mental health kind of resources that are out there. There's a, there's a lot of um, waiting lists and things like that. Like I, I, I went private. I, I found someone who I connected with and I, I paid him money and I go. Um, now, there's different levels you can you can pay as well. So I, I'd, I'd really look into this because some people are put off thinking it's very expensive. But there is other levels that you can play, uh, you can pay, which I think this give is, you opportunity. Well, some people are just don't know where to go don't know where to go like you know I, I i the best thing i did was i spoke to someone okay um and i don't mind mentioning who it was it was richie sadler you know okay. um read 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 richie's book but prior to that richie's from same area um as local me lad, yeah. yeah local fella and i heard him speak at an event in town and that was something that resonated and i reached out to him so like that's where i went and off the back of that i, I kind of who, who did you go and talk to so I asked him and he gave me a list of people. He gave me one great piece of advice was, you're not going to connect with all these people, you know, because I think sometimes people think, oh, I'll go to a counselor, but it's a human. You might, not, you might not connect with that person. You might not feel comfortable in their presence. I've seen PJ Gallagher recently come out and he said that you, you went to a couple before you found one. I went to five. Yeah. And it was the fifth person that I connected with from counselors to psychotherapists. Is there a point where you nearly gave up? Yeah. Oh, like you're talking about like probably over the course of like a year to a year and a half. Okay. Um, and other people would say, oh, I'll go to this person. I'd go and I'd never go back. Just didn't feel, it just didn't, I didn't feel I was getting anything from it. Yeah, it's not connection. Yeah, but I think in terms of like, you know, there is people kind of watching and listening. It's like, you know, do reach out. There is some great charities out there. Um, there is resources available. 
there is like you know places that you can you can go and have a conversation with and like again if anyone wants to contact me i'm more than happy to kind of share where i i go and you know things like that and different resources that are available but uh like there is like the samaritans there is a whole host of uh, charities out there that that can help pay the house um all these are doing great work and um, the, the thing is don't be afraid to reach out i was for a long time because i was afraid of been judged i was afraid of like i was always afraid of like i'm coming from sports i have to be strong i have to be fit I have to be fast show no weakness you know um and i thought it'd be judged you know so that's probably one of the the road the biggest roadblock to stop me from kind of reaching out you know but it's um i think you know people always ask me like what would be the best thing you know you know the have you learned from sport and stuff like that? I, I I actually think that whole journey, like probably the biggest thing I learned was showing an, an element of vulnerability, like, you know, because if I didn't do that, like, I don't know where I'd be today, you know? Um, and I think it, it's taught me a lot of understanding about who I am and what, what are the things that I want to do and what are the things that make me happy, you know? But it's yeah. constant work and I'm not going to say that it's, it, it's not like, that's why I still go to a counselor. Yeah. Know? Well, I had Keith Tracy on last week and he, he was a former footballer and he, he became an alcoholic and a sex addict yeah. and his wife stuck through, through all of that and he had to go and get help. And again, like you, he reacted the same way. Yeah. Didn't want to know, but then he got to a, a breaking point and now he's, he's completely, uh, U-turned. He's, he's working a lot, actually kind of like you within TV and stuff. Yeah. He's getting a lot of work in Virgin media or TE so on and so forth. But I suppose when, when you, got the help when it's so did life start turning for you then your baby was born yeah so oscar's oscar's nearly he'd be he's six you know he's fairly dropped to school today so yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so dropped to school and you know he's great like he's into sport now as well he plays soccer locally and playing gan he does all sorts of stuff and then we have olivia and now he's four um little girl um and then a little boy as well so uh louis on a year and a half so it's busy but like this like I'm I'm in a much better place, um, and I, like I said, I've kind of learned an awful lot. But it, it took time, and I think that's the thing. It takes time, and you know, you mentioned um, you know like other kind of sports people stuff like that. But it's it's the change, and that's the hard part. And I think in society, like from recession back in oh eight oh nine to the pandemic, you know, all of these things have caused an awful lot of change, and that's where I think you know as a result of that, mental health cases and issues have 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 risen. But it's so obvious it's because it's changed and people like their routine they like being in control and then suddenly when that's taken away it's in my experience that's when i crumbled and you know i got the help it's something i still work on now and um yeah like it's i don't know if there was a changing point i think like i i vividly remember kind of looking at charlotte heavily pregnant thinking right i need help um and i got that and then slowly over time i began to you know say no to a lot of things and begin to understand do i want to do this and you know, try and slow the mind down a little bit because I I began working for myself and, you know, even with that, it's peaks and troughs and you're kind of like, you're nodding, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do that. Suddenly it was like seven days a week, yeah, because you're chasing, because yeah. you're so afraid that like... Well, you have to, kind you of, know, you have to at the start, you have to do things for free. You have, you to, have to, yeah. And like, and you know, then I get to a point where, you know, I began to build good relationships with people um, and began getting kind of opportunities and both TV, RTE, things like that, media, working with a couple of brands. And then I kind of, one great kind of piece of advice I got was like, David, how much do you need? And I remember thinking, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, how much do you need? And I was, uh, at the time I was like, as much as I can get. And it's only now do I realize like, how much do I need to live the life I want to live? If I want to have time with my kids, if I want to, you know, go for a run or go out on my bike or, 
you know, whatever that might be. Um, how much do I need? How much do I need to enable me to do the things I want? Um, we can all have more, but like more comes at a price. And that was probably one of the best pieces of advice I got because um, it just slowed me down a little bit and it wasn't always about more equals happiness. And uh, I think for me, I've, I've, I've got a good idea about like what makes me feel good um, and something that I'd really kind of, I enjoy has been present mentally and physically with the people that matter most, my family, you know, um, whereas before I might be with them, but my mind is going, oh, I, need to, I need to do this, I need to do that. And it's just a million miles an hour. Yeah. And I think it's that pace. Um, I've kind of managed to understand, okay, well, and uh, you know, what works for me? And then I just need to kind of try and make it happen. Yeah. I think there's, there's finding that balance and it's really hard. I'm still trying to find yeah. it myself. But so, I can't sit here as an expert telling you. No, but it, it, like, it, it, look, look, I can sit here and, you know, oh, yeah, Gillick has it all sorted. Nah, man, I can wake up next week and be like, Jesus, it's, it's a busy week or it's crazy. What am I doing this for? And we have those moments. But the interesting thing about that is, and again, it's something that I learned, is like, that's okay. You're going to have these moments, but be aware of it. If we're not aware of it and aware of the impact, well, then we're never going to be able to manage it. And that's where we kind of go, yeah, okay, look, it's really busy. It's manic. Why did I say I do this? You learn from it. And life is just full of learnings. And I think when I came out of sport, I, I felt I should know everything, you know, and I was trying to keep up with lads um, who were like 10 years ahead of me in careers, you know, because I'd, st- I'd gone and did sport for like 10 years. So I was trying to kind of be maybe just grab it and go with it instead of going, right, well, here's where I am. Let's just work on this. And it's it's just that awareness piece, I think, is, is huge and try and kind of have your little like, as I call it, the resilience toolbox, right? So spot the little triggers um, and then try and manage them, you know? Mm. Well, I suppose that brings us into, you have two books, best-selling books, yeah. uh, David Gillick's Kitchen, and then you have uh, the more recent one then that was uh, back on track. Yeah. So I suppose, did, did writing them, did they help you? Um, yeah, they did. The first one was one of these things, you do a bit of reality TV, and then it's like, oh, will you do a book after it? So I did, did the cookbook and it went very well. Um, and like I enjoyed it was hard work like I'm not a Nevin Maguire who might have a couple of people helping him out to do books and you're banging out a couple a year um, and again Nevin Maguire is a chef I'm not a chef I'm master chef but I'm not a chef if that makes sense um, but it was great and it was good and it was something that uh, I enjoyed doing and then I got asked to do a second one I was kind of like oh, do I want to do this um, and then I said yeah no, do you know what? I will do it but I want to do it a little bit different so the whole kind of premise of back on track is like i'm looking at the exercise element to it i'm looking at like the the mindset i'm looking at the sleep so that was something that really was my reflection on the years between um probably the the two years prior to that which would be the two years after my career where okay well what got me back on track and that was kind of those four key areas um that i began to really focus on and became kind of something that was integral to to my daily and weekly life and that's why i wanted to put it in a, in a kind of book format like that to help other people and kind of say well look here's here's some of the things that i did that worked um and kind of include them in it and yeah it kind of went well and um it's yeah it's funny even when you mention like you got two books it's kind of like yeah god i have two i've wrote two books like <laughs> i forget about that <laughs> yeah but they're, they're you know good achievements to have because not not everyone yeah they are books, yeah. you know and so in in those aspects it's good to look back i also see like you're an ambassador for Little. Yeah. You, I think you might be an as- ambassador for Asics. So yes. Like yes. And you have a competition with them on your Instagram. Yeah, right? there is actually. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to plug that. No, no, yeah. <laughs> look, look it's one of these things. That I, I'm blessed. And I think, 
like what's worked pretty well is kind of building those relationships. I do a lot of work with, uh, you know, VHI, Lidl, ASICS, and we do. Yeah, right now uh, there is uh, a competition to win uh, a couple of pairs of trainers on my Instagram account. So you just need to tell us our shoe size and like and reshare and do all that. Um, when is that? Because uh, this will be out next Tuesday. So Oh, when? might have might have been passed. Oh, well, we can, we can, we can share it anyway. But we might have more. Don't worry. Oh, all right, we'll try and sort people out. Um, yeah, no, look, it, it's great. Now, obviously, doing a bit of TV work as well, um, doing a lot of kind of coverage with RT in terms of athletics and the Olympics and do a bit of rowing and things like that. So it, it's great. And it's funny because I remember someone was asking me, oh, like, how did you get into this? Did you plan it? And I was like, well, not really. You know, it kind of, things happen, door opportunities open and you kind did of you, just throw yourself approach- in. Uh, anyone or did someone come to you say um, because you're obviously celebrity master chef did someone from RT go actually you'd be a great fit for this I know you, you've done stuff off the ball as well yeah yeah regular com- contributor yeah that. I've kind of I, I suppose there was a time I think it was around the London Olympics where I was injured and I wasn't going and um, I randomly bumped into Peter Collins in Dundrum and uh, I was just like oh, oh yeah. From Lockline, yeah. yeah and I was kind of just like oh actually um, you know wouldn't mind actually seeing if I could maybe get an in here. And in fairness, like then he said, oh, I'll, I'll ask one of the producers or something. Lo and behold, got a phone call. That was the first kind of big gig that I did, the London Olympics. And then um, I've done every Olympic since. And like I've done other little things. I've gone to them with ideas like, um, so for example, our, the World Athletics, we don't have the rights, but we have um, kind of certain rights under um, the European Broadcasting Union, which means we can get access to athletes. So I, I went with a mojo kit, my mobile phone, a microphone, um, got this myself over there. Usain Bolt one? This is the Usain Bolt one, yeah. It was right in front what of Usain that, Bolt. Sorry, you know, it came off, um, <laughs> it was one of the rounds, I think it was a semi-final of the World Champs, and like Usain Bolt is just like his hot property, and right in front of me, right in front of me in the mix zone, and uh, had the mic, and he's talking away, and I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. This is so good. Went back, viewed it, and there was no sound. My mic didn't work. I was like, oh God. Um, but you'd be surprised at how much that actually happens and things. I, I've done that countless <laughs> times as well. I remember turning up and Mick McCarthy got the job for the Irish job and I had a phone and one hand and a mic and it's connected. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to talk to him and interview him and do that all at the same time. That's exactly it. It was connected, but it, like unknown to me, the connection wasn't like properly in. Didn't get it. But, you know, again, I, I kind of went and I did it. I had my tripod and stuff like that. And I've gone on, um, you know, and a few other little kind of trips like that and done it all by myself so I think from that perspective it's like look I'm, I'm willing I'm, I'm trying things and I think people see that and they go oh fair play to them and you know off the back of that then I've, I've, uh, I've done a lot more kind of stuff with RT and yeah very lucky and again great people to work with but I, I try and I try and make it easy for them as well that I you know I'd like to think that I'm easy to work with and you know I, like I can do n- numerous things as well so um it's uh, yeah, like it, it's great, and I love now kind of being a part of the sport as well. And I've got to a point now where I look back at my sport with a lot of fondness. It's given me so many opportunities, and you know I've managed to travel the world. You know, met my wife through it. You know, but like all of that came from from athletics, and you know I have regrets, certain decisions I made, but regrets aren't bad. You know, I've tried. That's the thing. And um, if I never tried these things, I would have never known. Um, and a lot of learnings in there. And again, working working with a lot of brands as well, it's given me a lot of opportunities. And um, I'm just so grateful for the, like for everyone to give me give me the, those kind of opportunities. You know. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't really look back with resentment because of what it's given you. I mean, you've travelled the world. Yeah. You've 
got brands you know that want to work with you then you've obviously got tv work out of it you've met your wife through it and stuff like that obviously there were setbacks along the way but yeah. there's a lot more if i was to look at you and i don't know the whole ins and outs but definitely i would look back in a more positive sense that what it's given you maybe yeah. after athletics what you thought the end of the athletics was the end that of, was it you know that was the end of me yeah, you know? but it's mad how, how it kind of worked out. And you're way. right, like, and I think that's something that we, we, we all kind of tend to do now and then is like we focus on maybe the one that got away. Um, and it's, you know, it all starts. And again, a lot of people over the last couple of years will talk about gratitude and maybe just kind of setting the day up. Okay, what are the, the three things you're grateful for? And it might sound a bit like, oh, here we go again. But like that does help. You know, you might look, you might have kids, you might have a roof over your head, you might have a nice car, you might have nice clothes, whatever that might be. But that could be very personal to you. And if that gives you that little pep in your step, well, then that's the most important thing. And, you know, I went years thinking about, oh, I should have done this and I should have made the Olympic final and I should have won a global medal, etc., etc. But then you kind of, you have to stop yourself and go, well, actually, look at the things that... You know, I did win. Look at the things that I'm doing now off the back of a career. And, you know, I did Hell Week this this year as well, which was a fantastic thing to do. And I wanted to test myself. I wanted to put myself back into, you know... Is that air jet, no? Yeah, that's oh, all that's done. It. Yeah, yeah. So you haven't watched it then? No, Jamie will kill <laughs> It's on the player. It's on the player. Jamie will kill you. No, but it was great. And, you know, one of the hardest things that I've ever done, one of the best things, and I think it was... You know, I'd, I'd gone so far away from sport, I always kind of thought, could I could I go to the well again? You know, could I go? Do I still have it? Um, and that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a proud kind of moment doing that show. Um, but all of these things, it, it's it's all kind of, I suppose, come off the back of my athletic career. And it's, uh, and I, like, I'm proud to be back living in the area I grew up in and, you know, giving back now to the clubs that all helped me and kind of my kids coming through and supporting them and just giving them the time um, to enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, and even during the COVID, because that's how I properly met you was in here, and we were oh the call yeah God the packages for all the people who couldn't leave the house. I'm still eating the rice that I cooked. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you how many we were doing? We did about was it 250 meals a week? No, 250 meals on a Tuesday and a Friday. I was just going out delivering them. I wasn't counting. Yeah, it's about 500. Trust me, I was counting the spoon of rice. I know, but it was good fun. And again, like it makes you feel good, and I think that's. That's the empowerment thing and even getting involved locally, whether it's through sport or whether it's volunteering or helping out people in your area that, that need help, it's it makes you feel good. And I always kind of remember someone saying, fill that emotional tank, you know, and I always wanted these athletes that if I was happy off the track, you know, I'd be happy on the track. And I think it's that kind of holistic kind of view of it, you know, trying to you know as much as it's given back but it's making you feel good as well yeah i just want just uh, lastly because uh, we're kind of coming to the end but you're doing a athletics podcast now i see as yeah. well and then i know you're supposed to actually be out the other day flying somewhere and the flight got cancelled oh yeah i was meant to go to the european cross country uh, in turin um which turned out to be really successful they they grabbed five medals um, i suppose i was going to get into that just you know what what state is irish athletics in because i uh, like if you ask me anything about football, I'll know, but anything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, no, like right now, like I mentioned that the Eurocross went very well. Um, you had Munich in the summer, which is the European Championships, extremely well. Like probably our best championship ever. Um, a lot of youth coming through, um, running really well, making finals, top top tens, all this sort of stuff uh, when it matters. And, you know, you look at that and you go, yeah, it, it, it's very strong. Um, and then the European Cross was successful as well from under 20s, under 23 and senior. So, again, there is a pipeline there. And, um, you know, it seems as though there's uh, 
there's a good future. Again, it's transferring that. And we're going into difficult enough two years now because it's global years. You have a world champs and you have an Olympic Games, um, which the standard is, is a step above. So it, it's going to be difficult for, for some of our athletes to maybe get into these championships and maybe kind of, you know, make finals and all that. But again, they're young and there's a lot of youth in there coming through, which is very, very strong. So from that perspective, Irish athletics currently is in a really, really good place. Um, you know, we're still heavily reliant on uh, on volunteers. We're still heavily... That's gone off. Yeah, no, it cuts off. All right. All right. <laughs> now we're waffling away. Um, we're in and around it now. We're still right. heavily... That's re- I can put this Yeah. Somewhere. We're still heavily reliant on, like, volunteers and things like that, um, which, you know, if we really want to be up there and sustain what we have and be up there with some of the best athletes in the world our yeah, nations even we we just need to make sure that we're investing in coaching and making sure that you know potentially we have a few more kind of full-time coaches on the ground um because that's something that we're, we're kind of missing at the moment and the coaches are all volunteers is essentially that, is that like i see that with football as well it doesn't no facilities to help us progress it's been like that for like about 20 years i don't know what, what state the athletics is yeah. you know from that regard but then you see so much money that goes into like horse racing yeah like wonder, it, could that money be put yeah. into athletics could it be put into you know football as well um, to, to help because see athletics I suppose from that perspective is a minority sport so we don't get say we don't get the investment we don't get the sponsorship um, and the endorsements and everything that comes with like say a major sport so like as I mentioned in athletics not having full time that all costs money mm. so if we can ride the wave and we can try and get like title sponsors in of which to be fair Athletics Ireland have a new title sponsor 123.ie which is great because that's going to bring in money and hopefully that kind of helps to spend and maybe invest um, in the sport and help it grow um, but it is like you're always looking at other sports and you know Again, kind of from a soccer perspective, GA, rugby, horse racing, you look at them and you think of the money that they're getting, you're going, oh my God, like, you know, if we could have just a little bit of that. Yeah, even a you quarter. Know, a qu- yeah. Um, and it, like, you look locally as well, Dundrum set Dublin, fantastic. They've built a track, you know, so from a facility point of view, you know, it's been, it's been 11 years since we've had a track in the whole county of Dunleary Ratdown. So you think about the population in Dunleary Ratdown, you know, there wasn't one athletics track in that whole county. Um, thankfully, now UCD have one, and obviously Dundrum South Dublin have one, so there's two. But that's 11 years, you know. And prior to that, there was only one down in UCD, you know, where I used to train. So, you know, that is a big barrier because if there's not facilities, you know, parents, kids just aren't going to get involved in the sport. They're going to be like gravity is going to pull them back to the the mainstream sports. Um, and I believe, like Ireland, we have talent. We have a huge amount of talent. It's trying to give kids the opportunity. And like, I, like you can look at it from like a bigger kind of picture as well. And, you know, a lot of sports are competing for the same kind of talent pool. Um, you know, you look at other, you know, European nations and what do they do? They might have municipal sort of kind of facilities in an area that the sports are all kind of feeding out of. Um, they also might have different times of the year that they play different sports. So they're not all kind of like, you know, you're running from GA to soccer. They miss a soccer match because you got a game match or there's a rugby match. You know, all these things are all kind of intertwined. Whereas in some countries, they they have a certain 
kind of window for each sport then you might look at kind of the curriculum in schools you know are kids getting um, the variety of sports um, for their long term development from racket sports hand eye coordination to you know agility ABCs you know all that sort of stuff you know is that happening I'm not a teacher I don't know but you know some would say that if you go to a school and a, a teacher likes a certain sport that's what you play but that's going to exclude so many and you're not educating kids on exercise you're not actually developing their core skills in the long term so you know maybe there's a bit of work to do in that space um you know again are kids getting enough activity who's reliant like who who is the person for that is it the parents is it the school you know for me i think it's it's everyone you know and, and parents play a huge role in that as well so um it's it's an interesting space, you know, and, you know, again, with the World Cup on, everyone's kind of looking at, oh, well, Croatia only have under four million, you know. Yeah. Why are they better than us? You know, or we've always been compared with New Zealand when it comes to the Olympics and things like that. But again, in Ireland, we have a, a massive indigenous sport, which is two codes in it, you know. Um, every parish, and I'm not hitting the GAA. I played a lot of GAA. My kids play GAA. But I can see kind of, you know, if you're in a certain parish in the country, um, there may not be a soccer club, may not be an athletics club, may not be a rugby club, but there will be a GA club. So, like, they're going to play that. Um, are they missing out on another sport? Maybe. Um, so yeah, again, some, of, some of the best GA sports uh, stars could be. They could the be, yeah. Irish yeah. internationals yeah. Or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I suppose it's, it's one of those things that's kind of out of our control. So it is out of our control. And I think, you know, like... What would I like to see? I'd love, like, I would love if the sports didn't have to compete, if there was a way over the course of the year that kids could play for local clubs and it wasn't competing with other local clubs and other sports, if you get me. I think, yeah. you know, something like that. But that that's an awful lot of work, you know. Um, you'd have to have a lot of buy-in and it may be too far-fetched. But, uh, like, with my kids, what I'd, like, I, I try, I'll try and do what my, my parents did to me. They just gave me every opportunity to participate in all sorts of sports. Um, and they were taxis. They were bringing us here, there, and everywhere. But, like, do I think that helped in my kind of athletic career? 100%. You know, I think playing different sports, different movements uh, helped my development and um, helped all that sort of stuff that came, that comes with that. And then, you know, I just transferred that into the one sport as I matured. Mm, I think a lot of people, sports stars, they always kind of reference the fact that their parents would have brought them here, there, and everywhere, and that's that's ultimately what yeah. gave them the kind of career yeah. that they have. But just just on yourself, because I think what you you finished at thirty thirty nine now. Yeah, I suppose if you look back on the last kind of nine years, have you have you came, have you come full circle? Have you? Have yeah, you, I think I have. Now yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely more content within myself. Um, I kind of. Like this year, in a, like I did the double marathon this year. Um, as I said, I did Hell Week. It's, it's been a great year, probably in terms of finding myself a little bit. Um, you a bit cycle, don't you? Yeah, I cycle a little bit as well. And you know, people probably think it's three kids. How do you do that? I know, <laughs> like it's up early mornings and all that. But I know the value of that for me. And I have a very understanding wife that knows that. Like if if I don't get my exercise, I'm like I'm I'm a nightmare, you know. Um, but at the same time, I think. It gives gives me the clarity that I, that I need, um, and that's that's a pillar of my kind of like performance now. But definitely, I, and like you know, I can look at it from my perspective. But I think reaching out and getting the help, um, you know, when, when you mentioned like thirty to thirty nine, it's it's a decade where I've I've had look I've had some dark times and all that, but 
it's it's a lot more positive as I approach forty and head into the next kind of decade. But it's um, maybe more of a sense of achievement, maybe. More yeah, more. look, I, I'm I'm more than happy now, like to look back with fondness of my athletic career and, and look back. And even when I watch Olympics and World Champs, like you know, I have a sense of pride that I represented my country but I represented my, my family and my, my, my parents and all that and I, that's and brilliant the area I suppose in a way that, and the area like the area gave me so much like Ballantyre where I grew up and it's like I've, I've never forgotten that and anywhere I've, I've competed I've always had a sense of pride of who I'm representing and you know the other thing as well I, like I'd love a lot of kids around here to kind of go well like you know if I could do it so could they um and we all need that. Like, I can remember growing up in the area and, like, uh, Glenn Fitzpatrick, Richie Sadler, um, uh, Coleman Goggins, you know, all these people that I would have kind of, you know, James Oliver, you know, all these people that would have had their name kind of in lights in local clubs. Like, I would have looked at those um, and kind of they would have inspired me, you know, and it's like that's what every kind of community needs. And again, the likes of like Liz McDonough and the Athletics Club, 49 years volunteering and coaching kids like literally four days a week you know like it, it's unbelievable you know and if it wasn't for those people we wouldn't have the various clubs that are here in the area so um yeah they're like an unsung heroes aren't they there's a lot of them yeah and that's the backbone of sport in this country you know in, in a lot of countries you know is um that volunteerism and people just been you know really generous with their time um and that's without that i, I wouldn't have gone and got to where I got, where where I went. So, yeah, no, it's 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 good. And like, I think having kids gives you a different perspective. Um, you and know, and it's, keep you busy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, you got to go mix because you got like a almost a newborn year and a, years a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good mix, but it's a busy mix yeah, because yeah, you've well, got it's easy like to from the <laughs> yeah, it is. So Oscar's at an age now where he's just full of beans. Wants to play sport. Wants you. He wants to go kick a football stuff for that. Olivia is just four now, so she's coming into that as well. Gymnastics and dancing and all that stuff. Um, and then you've got Louis who's still running around the nappies. So you're kind of like, ah, you know, he's still a baby, still naps. So it's it's busy, but like. It's fun as well. And like, you know, with Christmas and all that, it's great. The magic of Christmas is back and um, everything that comes with that. So I'm look, we're very, very lucky, you know, extremely lucky to have three beautiful kids. And, um, you know, that's what it's all about now. And I think that's probably what I've learned over the 10 years is like I've gone from everything been about me, performance, training, competing. You know, I was priority number one to, to now, like I'm probably... P3, P4, you know, there's a lot of people uh, coming before me now, but that's fine. Um, and that took me probably a while to get used to. It might sound a bit like, I don't know, selfish, but like when you're when you're in a sport where it's all about you, that's it. It's all about you. And then you have to transfer out of that and kind of realize you're in the real world now. And I can remember when I started that job walking in, almost thinking that, oh, you know, maybe people will kind of know me and stuff like that. Nobody gave a shit because they're all doing their job. And it wasn't a bad way. It's just like, you know, you're, yeah, you are an athlete. Now you're, now you're this, come on, let's go hit your targets, you know, sell, get out, do it. Yeah. You know, and, ruthless gonna... and it's learning. That's the thing. Sport to sport. You've only got a shelf life. And I think I can happily look back and go, yeah, I maximized that. And, and now it's kind of moving on to the next phase, but it, it's, it's definitely a transitional phase, you know, and it takes time. I thought it might kind of take a couple of weeks, but in reality, it took a couple of years. And, um, I think one of the best things, like I said, was that kind of piece of vulnerability where I now am aware that 
I need to work and I'll continue to work on my mental health as much as my physical well-being for the rest of my life. I'm okay with that. Mm. I think definitely think there's going to be a lot of people listening to this and they'll resonate from what you're saying and obviously from the fact that you've got help. Like there's a lot of athletes I know that, you know, listen to this because there's a lot of talk of mental health. Yeah. A lot of similarities to a lot of the guests I've had. It's just going to happen that way, which is... Which is, um, but like, what struck me before when when I started speaking about my own mental health and things like that, and kind of the fact that I was struggling, the amount of people that came to me like publicly and privately, and would have said, "Look, you know, I've never competed at your level." Like one guy in particular played GA for his whole life for his local club, um, at a senior level uh, for his club. But he was like, "I've been doing it since I was a kid." He retired. He packed it in when he was thirty five, and he was like, "I'm struggling," and I can't believe I'm almost embarrassed to say I'm struggling, and like. It was something that defined him and his local community. It was part of his life training, going to games. His social circle all came from that. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's Olympics or if it's going to the local park. It's something, if it's important to you and it ends, that's when maybe we, we get a, a few issues around it. And that's fine. That's okay. It's it's almost normalizing that. And if we can normalize that, help remove the stigma, particularly about like the male stigma around mental health and even just kind of talking about it. That's a positive. And that's something that I do a lot in the corporate world now. I, I talk about these things and, you know, I find like if I can help just that one person, if I get one person that messes me or asks me a question, well, then that's a start. And if I could help that individual just reach out, that's a win. And that makes me feel good. And that's why I'm very open and honest about my journey because I buried it for like nearly three years. I was too ashamed to talk about it for the fear of what people might say. But in reality, it was the best thing I could have done was just be open and honest because you're helping people and that's something that um, I find empowering and it's, I'm passionate about that. Mm. I think it's a lovely way to to wrap it up. Thanks very much yeah, for, enjoyed for it. dropping in and telling your story because I do think a lot of people will be inspired from it and um, there's just so much there that I think people will take away from it in a positive way and I think you should as well. Maybe sometimes we don't self-reflect on stuff enough. Yeah, you said it, yeah. So it. I think maybe for you, it's, sometimes it can be a bit of an eye-opener in that regard too. Yeah, happy days. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, pleasure. Um, guys, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the video. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're listening on podcast, uh, do the usual. Give us a five-star review. And um, don't forget to follow us, yeah. You can check uh, David out. I think it's at David Gillick. On at David Gillick, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, yeah. all that. And uh, yeah, check out the competition as well. Uh, we might have some other ones coming up so yeah um, thanks very much for watching and we'll speak to you all soon cheers